The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word this morning. And as we get into the Word, I want to encourage a couple of things. I want to encourage note-taking. If you're able to take notes, you have a pen and some paper, you can write it down. If you have a pen and no paper, write it on your arm. Uh, Try not to write on your neighbor's arm. If you fill up your arm, they might not appreciate that. But I enjoy note-taking. I think it's important because God's speaking something to us right here and right now, and that's a very good thing, an important thing. But the Word is for us individually as well. And we'll take what we receive today. We can review it, and God can speak some very wonderful and powerful things to us on a very personal level. I want to get into the Word this morning, and this is a Word that uh, is dear to me, mainly because it's something that I'm very well acquainted with. Now, you're about to hear what the Word is about, and you might gasp and get up and gather your things and walk out and then go spread rumors, but it's a topic that's near and very close to my awareness. It's been a big part of my life. I want to talk to you about anger this morning. Now, it's not every Sunday you're going to hear a pastor stand up and talk about their anger issues, right? But I want to talk about anger this morning because I think anger is something that we need to understand. I think it's important for us to wrap our minds around it, to see anger for what it actually is. Now, some of this we've talked about before and we've touched on it might seem, some, some parts of it may seem repetitive, but that's no problem. We know that repetition makes revelation a reality. It's a very important thing for us to pursue. But as we get into the Word, I want us to have an anticipation that today's Word is for us. And specifically you. I'd like for you to have this personal conviction that today's Word is for me. And as we get into the Word together with that mentality, I believe we can see some really incredible things happen. So if you're taking notes, I'd like to give you a few things that you can look forward to. We get settled in. We get our stuff out. As you get your things out, here's a few things that we can look forward to. One, I think it's important that we know this. We're going to find out what the devil's plan is. What the devil's plan is. Now, I can tell you on most Sundays or in most conversations concerning the Scripture, I would much rather talk about what God's plan is, and I would love to tell you what He's done for us and all of those things, and we are going to include those things as we talk today. But I want to talk about what the devil's plan is. I know this, if you and I were in a state of a conflict against a common enemy, if we were at war with a common enemy, and we had the opportunity to find out what our enemy's plan of attack was, that would be very highly prized information. It would be highly valued. We would seek after it. We'd pay a high price for it, right? It's kind of like getting the plans to the Death Star. Now, no one's laughing. A couple of laughs right there, right? Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Yeah, all the Star Wars nerds laugh. Nobody else. But we've got an opportunity to find out what our enemy's plan is. God's revealing it. He's uncovering it in the Word there. And it's good for us to come into this awareness because when we know what our enemy's plan is, when we know what their strategy is, we can build up defenses in all the right places. And as we build up those defenses, as we build up our hearts and our minds, as we prepare ourselves for the inevitable attack, we have a greater rate of survivability when we know where they're going to hit what they're going to hit with. 
And so I think it's important for us to know this. We're going to find out what the devil's plan is. Another thing that we're going to find out, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, what must be mastered or conquered. What needs to be mastered? What needs to be conquered in your life and in my life? We're going to see as we find that out that it's you, it's me that needs to do the conquering. And oftentimes we wait hoping that God will do it. But he's equipped us to do it, and it's up to us, and he's given us everything we need to do it. We're going to find out what it is that we need to master and what it is that we need to conquer. A third thing that we're going to find, you can write this down for your notes, uh, what is better than being strong? What's better than being strong? I spent the majority of my life trying to be strong, or at least appear to be strong, Before I was born again, that was my goal, was if people wouldn't like me, I at least wanted them to fear me. So I was going to try to be, you know, as intimidating as I could possibly be, and was just a total jerk. But there's something that should be valued more than strength. There's really a power and an authority that transcends might and brute strength. And I want us to find out what that is for the purpose of seeing to it that it exists in our lives. Uh, We said we're going to find out what the devil's plan is. I want to just start there as we begin to get into today's message. If you're taking notes, you can write down James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. James 1, verse 19 and 20. We're going to read those two passages. It's going to lay the foundation. This is what the devil's plan is for our lives. Now, we're going to have to break down the verse a little bit to get there, but it won't take us long. And we'll get there. So if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, it reads like this. It reads that everyone must be. I want you just to say must be. Yes, yeah, see, must be is, is absolute, right? It doesn't say should or, hey, do your best. It must. So we're dealing with things that are absolute. Absolute. Everyone must be quick to hear. We've got to be listeners. Slow to speak. We've got to be patient to speak. And slow to anger. And then it goes on to speak, but it doesn't speak about hearing or talking. It goes on to talk about that last one. It talks about anger. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For, now, when we see the word for, you've got to understand the word before is completely interchangeable with the word because. Right? You could easily say that, you know, I'm really looking forward to lunch. For the pastor has preached a really long time. Right? Or you could say, I'm really looking forward to lunch because the pastor has preached a really long time. Interchangeable, completely interchangeable. For and because. I like to change for into because. Because because, 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 has the word cause in it. Cause. When we deal with cause, we can understand cause and effect, which can help me. It helps me in the way I think, and I hope it helps you in the way you think. Because oftentimes we have effects in our life, and we don't like them, and we want to get rid of the effect, but until we know the cause, we're kind of stuck with it. Unless we somehow accidentally stumble upon what we need to do to get rid of the effect. But God's revealed to us a number of things that are cause and effect in the Scripture. So I want to get in here, and I'm going to take out four. We're going to put in because. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Now, if you're like me and you like to underline things in your Bible, 
underline that. Because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So here's the good news. The good news is you have an amazing call on your life to do incredible things for the kingdom. Jesus said you're going to do great things, amazing things. He gave that as a promise. And not only did He give that as a promise, but He made good on that promise. He said, I'm going to send you all the help you need. That's the Holy Spirit. It's to your benefit that I go to the cross, that I go away. I know you guys would love to just have me here forever. You'd love for me to take the throne, be the king, and things would just be great in your eyes. But it's going to be better for all of you if I do this. You'll be purified, washed clean. My Father will send the promised Holy Spirit. I'll get to be with all of you all the time. And I promise you, though you may not be able to see it right here, right now, it's going to be awesome. That's God's plan for us. To do great things like that. When I say you're just like Jesus, I mean it. Jesus never referred to Himself as the Son of God. He called Himself the Son of Man. Jesus emptied Himself of all of those divine privileges. Is just like me, just like you. Goes into the water, baptized, comes out, is filled with the Holy Spirit, and begins to minister the spiritual gifts that God's made available to us. He's washed us clean and purified us by the blood of Jesus. He's poured out the Holy Ghost for the purpose of us of being baptized in the same Holy Spirit as Jesus Christ. And He's released us into the ministry of reconciliation that we could go and do the same things that Jesus would do as we begin to speak the words that God speaks and do the things that God does. That's all the good news. You have that call. That call is real. It's as real as this tabletop right here. It's as real as the chair that you sit on. And it cannot be revoked. Nothing can undo the cross. Nothing can put Jesus back in the tomb and roll the rock back in front. So our enemy is faced with a problem here. Well, I don't have one Jesus to deal with now. There's a whole lot of Jesuses now. So I've got to come up with a plan. I can't revoke their call. I can't... Put Jesus back in the tomb. That's done and it can't be undone. But you know something? If I can get them all angry, they'll never accomplish what God's called them to accomplish. Because anger will never accomplish the righteousness of God. So guys, we've got a plan. Gather around. Listen, we can't undo what Jesus did. That bell has been rung and it can't be unrung. But here's the plan. Get them all as teed off as you can possibly get them. Just go and stir up as much strife as you can. If we can get them angry, they'll never accomplish what God set out for them. Their lives will be on a treadmill of frustration, disappointment, hurt, and wound until they finally just give up, call it quits, and go home. So boys, give them hell. I think that's the plan of our enemy. I've got a great life. I mean, to be born in the United States, to be born in Texas, yee-haw. <laughs> to have an amazing wife and sons, to be here with you, you're great people. 
I mean, I have it all. And I think if we were to examine your lives, you could say the same thing. It just doesn't get any better than this. So why is it that I seem to constantly have things that come into my life that provoke me to anger? Could it be that our enemies are trying to creep in, get us angry, and disrupt what God has for us? I think absolutely. Because the anger of man will never achieve the righteousness of God. I want to give you a few things that make anger, anger excuse me, such a devastating thing. Right? First of all, it opens up opportunities for the devil to afflict. So if I know that I'm born again, I'm bought with the blood, baby. My name is in the Lamb's book of life. I'm sealed with the Spirit. I've got every Christian merit badge a man can get. I've been there, done that. God's man for the hour, right? If I come into a mentality or a thought process that that means nothing can touch me, I'm going to have a hard time reconciling a few passages of Scripture. Those things are amazing and they're awesome. I'm glad my name's written in the Lamb's book of life. I'm glad that I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. I'm glad that God has given direction and counsel into my life. But I can never, ever, ever forget what I do with that makes all the difference in the world. Those things have been done. They're real. But the choices and the decisions that I make right here and right now dictate what's allowed in and what's allowed out. I want to give you a passage of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at two verses, verse 26 and 27. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to to get there. If you have your phone or your app, get there. I think it's good to see so many things that pass through the eyes. Let's put the Scripture through our eyes. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 26, just reading to 27. It reads like this, Be angry and yet do not sin. Okay, we're going to get to that in a second. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Now that's the part that I want to stop on first. When anger exists in our lives, when it's embraced, it's allowed, when it's present, it does something. Based on the scripture there that we read in Ephesians, we can see that when anger exists in our lives, when it's allowed to be present in our lives, it gives the devil an opportunity. Well, I've got news for you. If you read the scripture, you're going to find a few odd passages of scripture, odd verses, odd passages that all communicate the same thing. The devil's constantly looking for an opportunity. You might remember a time when Jesus is tempted. It's recorded in the Scripture for us to to gain knowledge and awareness on how to combat temptation, how to function using the Word of God. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. And you know what's awesome? Jesus wanted us to know about it. You know why? Because He was all by Himself when it happened and He's not the guy that wrote it down. That means He told people about it. That means He's walking with Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and He's saying, hey guys, there was a time. You remember with the Jordan River when, when John the Baptist was baptizing? You guys remember that, right? I want to tell you what happened after that. He was talking about it. 
Now, that should be an eye-opener. When was the last time a pastor just said, hey, I want to tell you about all the things that were tempting me recently? So he was telling people about it. It was a big deal, and he understood and know people need to know about this. So guys, when you're writing things down, make sure you get that and put it up toward the front. When anger is allowed into our lives, Satan's given an opportunity. And just like when Jesus dealt with Satan, and he resisted temptation and defeated temptation using the word, there's this little tiny sentence there concerning what happened. It doesn't say that and the devil pouted or the devil kicked and screamed and threw a fit like a two-year-old. It says, and the devil left and waited for an opportune time. Now, that's kind of weird, isn't it? So if you're just like Jesus, do you think he's giving Jesus special treatment? You know, the things that are assigned to wreak havoc in our life, to bring corruption into our life, to bring captivity into our life, all of that darkness that's meant to uh, pervert and meant to corrupt, meant to defile everything that Jesus has done, all of those assignments don't give up. They wait. And as we live out our lives, born again, celebrating, hallelujah, I've been set free from corruption. I'm set free from addiction. I'm set free from bondage. I'm no longer going to be a slave to pornography. I'm no longer in bondage to alcohol or drugs. I'm no longer a servant to this unclean thing that's destroying my life. I've got victory. I'm free. The moment we step into that, those things don't say, well, we lost this one. Better move on. They just say, guys, just back, hold off. Just back off and watch. Let's see. Let's just see what happens. Let's wait for an opportune time. Let's wait till he's worn out and tired and somebody provokes him. And he loses his temper and pitches a fit and, and gets offended and bitter and refuses to function and operate like Jesus, refuses to forgive and refuses to, to be uh, generous with his own life, but rather in selfishness and bitterness, he defends himself. When opposition comes and slander comes against him, let's see, let's see what he does then. Let's just wait. Wait for the rumors to start. See how he handles that. Let's not go anywhere. Let's just watch. So as Jesus is telling these men, hey guys, I want you to write this down. Listen, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and I was led out into the wilderness and Satan himself was tempting me. He said this, and the Spirit of God rose in me and gave me a word of wisdom to respond to that with. It was amazing. And then he tempted me with this and the same thing happened. A word of knowledge came and I ministered that word and, and the devil couldn't do anything. Then he tempted me with this, and the same thing happened. And guys, it's not because I'm the Messiah. It's because of the Spirit of God. Everything that I can have, I promise you, the Father's going to give to you. Because it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But I want to tell you guys, listen, make sure you write this down. All of the anointing that was on me to resist, all of the victory that came, make sure that you include this. That when the devil left, he didn't leave for good. 
He just backed off to watch me. And guys, every day of my life, I need to be careful. Every day of my life, I've got to keep watch. I'm not afraid. I've got more hope and trust in the victory that God's poured out into my life. But I can tell you, if I get lazy, if I get vain, if I get prideful and puffed up, if I get arrogant, if I get angry, He's going to come. And He's going to make the most of every opportunity that He can get. So make sure you write that down. Make sure that you write that down. That He left and just waited for His opportunity. Because I want everyone to know that He is like a prowling lion. And though he may not be in your face right now, he's watching. To make the most of opportunity. So if I have an enemy that's watching me, waiting for their opportunity, I now know that one of my kingdom priorities in my life is to not give him that opportunity. I think it's a really great saying. It's not necessarily in the scripture, but it could be a proverb. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I love the grace of God and the mercy of God to cover. I love the body of Christ to bring affirmation and, and, and correction and discipline in a right way. To keep us all on a straight path. I think God has designed a perfect organism for righteousness when He released the body of Christ in the church. But I know that He's also equipped us to make amazingly good choices. Just brilliant choices. To be able to see on the horizon where our enemy is coming, knowing, hey, he's coming, he's looking for an opportunity. So let's not give him one. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture on why this opportunity is so sought out. Remember, anger, when it is sustained and allowed in our lives, gives Satan an opportunity, gives our enemy an opportunity. Why he wants that opportunity, why he's trying to sow discord and get everyone stirred up, get everyone angry, is because anger has some pretty nasty side effects. First of all, anger is contagious. I mean, we're pretty careful when flu season comes around, right? I wipe down the shopping cart like everybody else. Seems like I do that, but then I get in line to check out behind the person that's sneezing their head off. But we're mindful of that. We, we have some education and some awareness of what it means for something to be contagious. So we take precautions, right? But anger is contagious. I want to give you a passage of Scripture, Proverbs chapter 22. It begins in 24. We're going to read 24 and 25. Proverbs chapter 22. 24 and 25. Now it gives instruction, and it's great instruction, by the way. And then it reveals why it's giving the instruction. It reads like this. Do not, when you say do not, do not. 
Yeah, do not. Now, do not. Do not is kind of revealing what's going on here. This is an instruction not to do something. Do not associate with a man given to anger. Okay? Do not associate with a man given to anger. Or, now here comes the reason why. Here comes the reason why. It's not because, well, God just doesn't like them, and we really kind of want to give them the silent treatment, just to kind of show them, right? It's not like that. This is a warning. It's to protect and guard you so that you don't become vulnerable to giving our enemy opportunities. Don't associate with a man given to anger, or you will. I want to hear you say you will. Just you will. Yeah, you will. Keep in mind, will. Will's not might. It's not could. Will is a pretty absolute word here. Now that's interesting to me. Like it stands out to me as something that, hey, I should really, really, really pay attention to that. This isn't saying, hey, if you're not careful, there's a chance this could happen. This is saying, hey, listen, if you don't follow this God-given instruction, something bad is going to happen. This is going to happen. This will be the result, and you're not going to like it. Don't associate with a man given to anger, or you will learn his ways and find yourself in a trap. That tells me anger is contagious. You get around someone that has it, and you will learn their ways. The flu is contagious. Get around someone that has it, and you will be shopping for NyQuil. Right? It's contagious. It spreads. You even get around someone that has it. It's going to pass from them to you. Now this is now making more sense. No wonder my enemy, this is his weapon of choice. No wonder this is what he functions in. Because all he has to do is shoot you. And then you rub off there and there and there and there and there and there. Anger is contagious. It gives our enemies opportunities. Opportunities to what? According to the scripture, steal and kill and destroy. To place us in bondage and captivity. To separate us from the things that God has brought us into. Anger is painful. I want to give you a passage of scripture. And listen, I want to give this loosely. I'm not offering it as a doctrine or or giving it in any way, shape, or form absolute. I'd like to just let God minister to you what it needs to mean in your situation. But I believe anger is painful. And I believe that when anger is embraced, when it's held onto, it can be very destructive to our bodies. I personally believe that. If you would like to see the scripture that, that I'm basing that on, and, and I'll let the Holy Spirit reveal it to you how he sees fit. Ecclesiastes 11.10. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 10, it reads like this. Remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body. It goes on to say, because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. That means you ain't getting younger. Now, I don't know how you see that, and you're welcome to, to see it as God sees fit to reveal it to you. But when I see that, I see that as cause and effect. Remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body. I think anger is painful. 
You know, I've never been in a state of anger. I've never been in a a long-term state of anger and just thought, you know what? I feel great. This is working for me. In fact, the one time that I tried to step into that was actually the, the very moment preceding my new birth. I wanted to embrace anger. I was locked up in county jail, Travis County Jail, sharing his little cell with way too many guys. And I'm not really a sleeper, but, you know, there are guys that can sleep 20 hours a day in jail. I don't know how they do it. I really don't. So those guys had all the bonks because they never got up. So I'm finally getting tired, you know. I'm looking around. There's no place to sleep unless I want to sleep with my head by the toilet. I'll pass. So I'm walking around and walking around and see some guys and just kind of walking around. And I was in a little better shape back then. Younger and remember just trying to look as strong and tough and mean as I could. A guy starts talking to me and I start talking to him. Conversation goes for a little bit. And he says, hey, you know, we all were talking. We really thought you were going to be, and he used some pretty colorful language, but they thought I was going to be a real jerk and come in there and start pushing guys around. That did something to me. You know, I kind of thought, so you're afraid of me. We can work with that. We can work with that. And I went back in there and examined my option to sleep next to the toilet again. I passed on it. And I remember looking up into a little piece of plastic that was made to be reflective. It didn't give a very good reflection. I remember feeling anger rise up. I looked in that and I thought, you know, I do feel good about this. And I said to myself, because I'm looking in the glass, you can run this place. And as soon as I gave in to that, you know, as soon as I decided, hey, I'm okay just being an angry guy here, and it's going to work. I think it could work to my benefit. The most incredible mercy took place, the most merciful act that I've encountered in my entire life. It was the moment I was born again. I know I really felt what was just truth wash over me from head to foot. If that doesn't make sense to you, that's okay. That's just the best way I can say it. Because immediately I knew what was true and what was a lie. And I knew that my attempts to run that place would not end well. It was a lie. That's the moment that I surrendered and said, you know, God, I'm destroying my life. I want you to have it. That's all I knew to say. An amazing thing happened there. But I've never been in a moment of being angry and felt good. It brings pain. It brings sorrow. It brings suffering. And as we put away anger, we put away pain from the body. Had I embraced that, I promise you, I would have been getting stitches, which I'm sure wouldn't feel very good. Anger derails, and I'm going to say derails. You're you're welcome to believe that in another direction if you like. But anger derails deliverance. Now deliverance, I'm a big fan of deliverance. I've had a number of things cast out of me. They needed to go. Just mentalities, things that were frustrating or disappointing that had affected my life. Sometimes it's come as people have ministered to them. Sometimes it's come by just being exposed to affirmation and love. 
And then other times it's come through actual ministry of dealing with the issue very head on. But anger, when anger is celebrated and embraced, it's going to disrupt deliverance. By the way, deliverance is not a discipline or a punishment. It's not like, man, you're a terrible Christian. You're going to have to have deliverance. Deliverance is a benefit for the body of Christ. It is meant to keep us clean. The words that the scripture use are consecrated, sanctified. That means set apart. Hallowed. Like Jesus would pray, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means to keep holy. Not that it's just holy, but that it's kept holy. That means God is actively keeping his name holy. How is he doing that? By making good on all of his promises to you. But anger now, if anger were to come in, it's going to have a negative effect on deliverance in our lives. I'll give you a passage of scripture here, Proverbs 19, 19. It reads like this, a man of great anger will bear the penalty. For if you rescue him, you'll only have to do it again. It means you can deliver him and next week you'll be needing to deliver him again. And the week after that, you'll need to deliver him again. And the week after that, you'll need to deliver him again. And maybe, just maybe, he'll make it for a month. But a month after that, you'll have to deliver him again. Which means he's never truly free. All because of anger. So right about now, if I'm understanding these things and I'm your enemy, I'm thinking, I want to get him mad. I need to get some anger in this person. And everything they've been liberated from, they'll repeat those matters over and over again. I can bring pain into their bodies. I can spread like a disease if I can just get them angry. Anger allows sin. We're going to see that in greater detail in a moment. But anger allows sin. Here's a couple of passages of Scripture. Psalm 37 verse 8. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. Evil doing is sin. Cease from anger. It leads only to evil doing. Man, you couple that with what we read out of James, that anger will never accomplish the righteousness of God. And we ought to have two witnesses there that testify of the same thing. Anger is bad news for anyone who's wanting to live a godly life. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22, it reads like this. An angry man stirs up strife. And a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. Abounds means it's abundant, meaning it's a lot. Transgression. Now, transgression could be considered different than sin. You could sin and, and, and not even be aware of it. And God brings it to your attention and you repent. But transgression means you knew what you were doing and you decided to do it anyway. Transgression is absolute rebellion. When God speaks to Moses, he says, I forgive. And he lists three things. He lists sin and transgression and iniquity. Those things are all different. They're all bad news. And that's a message for another time. But transgression means you knew and you did it anyway. When anger is in our hearts, it opens up the door for rebellion. That kind of rebellion. Where you know, you know that's going to destroy my marriage, but it I just like it, and I'm going to do it anyway. You know, I know that's illegal, but nobody's watching, and I'm going to go ahead and just do it. 
I know better. I know it's wrong, but I choose it. Anger, anger, anger opens the door for all of these things. Anger leads to judgment. Judgment. I want to give you a passage of Scripture, and this is one, again, I want to leave to the Spirit of God to minister to you what it needs to me. Matthew 5.22. Now, it's Jesus speaking, so you know he's never misspoke, never put his foot in his mouth, right? He's speaking, and this is what he has to say in Matthew 5.22. But I say that everyone who's angry, can you say angry? Yes, everyone who's angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Now, I got news for you. That one terrifies me. Because oftentimes I've dealt with situations where I was angry by just separating myself from the person I was angry with and surrounding myself with people that I was not angry with. It's a coping mechanism, so to speak. Well, just... I don't want to be around you. You make me mad. I'm going to go somewhere else. I still don't like you. I'm still mad at you, but I don't want to deal with you. To function and to operate like that is to open up the door for judgment. And listen, I mentioned this was a devastating thing in my life. I have a feeling that everyone in the room could say the same thing. Maybe even right here, right now, there's people that you're angry with. They've hurt you in the past. They've abused you in the past. They've neglected. They've rejected. They've stolen. They've robbed. They've slandered. They've cheated. They've done something demonic or satanic. Something that's not Jesus to you. And the underlying unseen hand, the puppet master pulling those strings, would be one with a dark agenda to put anger in you. To open up the door to spread the disease, to open up the door, to introduce pain, to open up the door, to derail deliverance, to open up the door, to allow sin and judgment. So we need to know what to do with this. Because for us now to understand that strategy and be able to see anger coming in over the horizon and put up the appropriate and godly defenses would be a really great thing. But there's a chance that that enemy's already breached the gate. Because if you're like me, you've already been hurt and wounded by people. You've already been slandered and stolen from by people. You've already been rejected and abused by people. So I do think it's good that we learn the strategy so that we can prevent and we can, we can build our defenses where they need to build in a very godly way. But I think the camp's already been overrun. And we need to learn how to purge the camp. It is very much a broken arrow situation. So I want to give you a passage of Scripture. As we said we were going to find what needs to be mastered, what needs to be conquered. I want to do that now. Genesis chapter 4. I want us to begin looking at verse 5. If you can turn there, I strongly encourage it. Now, I want to take a portion of what's going on in Genesis chapter 4. But I would encourage you in your time to read it. And God's very interested in giving you awesome and amazing revelation in His Word. Very interested. 
What you're dealing with here in Genesis chapter 4 is a situation where two people are worshiping God. One person is doing it the way God says to do it. The other person is doing it their own way. Now this is a massive paraphrase, but you'll read it, you'll see it. Now the two people here are brothers. One is named Abel and one is named Cain. And God has required the first fruits. We see it in the scripture and the word says that as Abel came to worship, he brought the first of his offering. It's a wonderful thing when you see what's going on here, how, how the word of God has existed even before it was written. But he brings the first, and that's a wonderful thing, and God celebrates that and receives that offering. What a great feeling to know that what I've offered unto God was found pleasing, and he received it. And then here comes Cain, and Cain brings, according to the Scripture, in his own time from what he produced. And it might be a little bit reading between the lines, but it stands out to me that in his own time. I know you want the first, but listen... When I get to it, I'll get to it, okay? You're going to like it, but let me just get some things squared away. It basically meant it wasn't a priority. It was an obligation. It was mechanical. It wasn't offered up in obedience to what God desires. It wasn't revealing of a heart surrendered. It was revealing of an individual who's fulfilling an obligation. I'll get to you. And he takes his offering and he offers it. But now here's the thing. Here's what we've got to wrap our mind around. This is a guy that's really trying to worship God. He's not a punk or a jerk or a thug. He's not a deceiver. He just didn't do it right. And when he doesn't do it right, it says that God doesn't have any regard for the offering there. And it really makes him angry. I come to church just like that guy. Huh? You pass the plate, you want us to give, he gives, you like it, I give, and you don't. What is up with that? I mean, he gets mad. He's angry about what's going on. But here's the awesome thing. You're going to see that, that God is very gentle, a loving father. He's just and he's righteous, not legalistic. He understands, listen, you need to grow and mature. Let me help you. Let me teach you. Let me show you. And here's what goes on here now, beginning in verse 5 there in Genesis 4. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Have you ever seen someone who was super angry and they looked really happy? His countenance fell. He was angry. Then the Lord said to Cain, now, let that soak in, right? That here's a guy who didn't do it God's way. Here's a guy now who's super ticked about that. Here's a guy who's 100% completely and totally self-absorbed and selfish. He didn't do it right, and he's mad that he didn't get the results he wanted. So, go put water in your engine instead of engine oil. Fire it up. And when it blows, go tell people you're super ticked that your engine didn't run right. He didn't do it right. He didn't get the result that he wanted, and he's upset about it. I mean, I have dealt with that in my children when they would throw fits in their toddler stages. 
And if you ask my wife, she probably deals with that even today in me. But he, he's in this state of pitching a massive fit. And God doesn't strike him with lightning. He doesn't open up the earth to swallow him. He doesn't send a beast to devour him. He goes and talks to him. He's still doing that today, by the way. So now verse 6, Then the Lord said to Cain, Hey, why are you angry? Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? And I mean, those are the things that are being said, but read between the lines. Why God would say something like that. Like, hey, you got a great life. There's amazing things happening in your life. What do you have to be upset about? So he brings him to this place of questioning, why is it that he's willing to, to let his countenance drop, to give up all of the good things, to forget about the amazing life that he has? Why is he willing to, to exchange gratitude and sincere thankfulness for this rejection and this anger? Why is he willing to do this? And then he goes on to just give really awesome instruction. And by the way, I've tried to use this as a pattern for raising my own kids. To give them simple instruction. He doesn't give them the book of Leviticus. Read this and get back to me. And the book of Leviticus is great, by the way. I'm just saying he's speaking to him personally. And giving him really simple instruction. Listen to what he says. Let it just blow your mind with its simplicity. If you do well, won't you get happy again? He's simply just saying, hey, just do better. I'll show you how to do it. I'll teach you how to do it. And when you do it right, you'll get super excited. But then he gives this as a warning. A loving warning. The reason why I say a loving warning, because oftentimes when we think of God giving a warning, we interpret that as a threat. And it's not. He's simply revealing cause and effect. Son, if you do it right, life's going to be great. But listen, if you don't, if you don't, if you're unwilling to let go of this and just use all that energy to get things back where they need to be, we're going to have some issues. If you don't do well, here's what he says. Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. That's that opportune time. Sin is waiting, waiting for that door to crack open so it can burst in, take over, and have its way with you. But you, but you, but who? Yeah, but you must master it. You must master it. Now, all of this is about anger. Son, why are you angry? Do better. But know that if you don't do better, know that if anger prevails in your life, you have an enemy waiting at the door that's waiting to make the most of that opportunity. And son, it's not merciful like I am. It's not kind like I am. 
It's not gentle like I am. It's not gracious like I am. And son, if you can't master this anger, its desire is to come and have you. What amazing instruction. I want to give you a scripture out of the Proverbs. Proverbs 25, verse 28. It reads like this. Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. There's no defenses. There's no boundaries. There's nothing to keep back those things that want to steal and take away. There's nothing to keep back the things that want to destroy. There's no defenses whatsoever because there's no control over anger. The quick temper, the aggression, the rage, all resulting from past hurts and wounds, all resulting from past rejections, all resulting from a selfishness that misses out on a big picture that God's love is leading us and guiding us into doing what's right. I mentioned before that we were going to find what's better than being strong, and I want to give that to you, and I want to close with this passage. Proverbs 16, verse 32. It reads like this, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and the one that can control his spirit greater than the one who can capture a city. I've spent a lot of my life asking God for strength. God, give me strength. God, give me strength. What I see when I read this passage is there's something greater than strength. That maybe rather than pursuing strength to fight and strength to endure and strength to all of these things, maybe what I ought to be pursuing is, God, give me self-control. Purge my life of anger. Reveal to me where there's anger in my heart. Because I believe freedom from anger is better than strength. And I think as we get free from anger for the first time, maybe ever, we're actually in control of our decisions. We can actually have self-control and not be moved and pushed and tossed around by circumstances and situations, the words and actions of other people. And it's then and really only then that we've removed and eliminated every opportunity for our enemy. But as long as we're provoked to anger, that enemy that's crouching at the door just waiting for it to be cracked open will find his way in. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.